This is Lead Stories. I'm Utrecht's Lead, and we're back together again. And I'm hoping you've got answers. Well, let's start. Three white men convicted in a state court of the brutal murder of Ahmad Aubrey, a 25-year-old black man they saw jogging through their suburban Brunswick, Georgia neighborhood on February the 23rd, 2020, are in their second day of trial in federal court. Federal statutes allow for separate or additional prosecutions for crimes allegedly committed in violation of human rights laws. Racial hatred motivated Aubrey's attackers, who are Gregory McMichael, 65 years old, his son Travis, 35, and neighbor William Roddy Bryan, 52 years old, the prosecutor has charged. In her opening statement, Prosecutor Bobby Bernstein said that Ahmad Aubrey would not have been murdered had he been white. I'll start you off with a couple of questions. Is prosecution under federal statutes double jeopardy? Could prosecutors prove beyond the shadow of a doubt what was in Aubrey's killer's mind when they murdered him? Those are the questions we'll start off with today. I will note, uh, for the purposes of this discussion, uh, it is sad that although the prosecutor is talking about the mindset of racist whites, I have a little trouble with this case not being prosecuted by a person of color from Georgia. A little bit of trouble with that. All right, but you, you hear the, the beginning questions and more questions will ensue. I'm waiting for your answers and your analysis on those two questions at 888-874-4888. This is a very significant trial for a couple of reasons, and we should pay attention to them. But we should also be as comprehensive as we can as we pay attention to them and also deal with some of the glaring inconsistencies in this case. 888-874-4888. So the trial is off and running. What do you expect to happen? But what are your particular answers to those two questions that I asked to start off? Is this a case, is, is, is a double trial after the state trial where they were 
all convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Then comes the second part of it, which is this federal case. And the federal case has to do with the law as it applies to uh, special circumstances that inform the actions of the alleged killers. What was in their minds? Was this a hate crime? And how do we know? Is this a case of double jeopardy where you you pay for it, you get tried, you get convicted, and you are gone for life, and then comes this second trial. What is the point of that? Could you answer that question? I really would like you to answer that question. And certainly get the answer right. <laughs> I would like you to do that. But it requires some thinking, and it is, in fact, a very serious question. And we will know because it is likely to be raised in the context of an appeal. I feel that. I feel that very strongly. 888-874-4888. Any takers so far? Anybody interested in answering these questions? All right. I don't see anybody yet. You know, this is this is a world in which you've you got to move. There's a song like that. You've got to move. You've got to move. 888-874-4888. So now the case has come to this trial, the second trial. Uh, but this is a federal trial. The first case was a state trial. But there are some very interesting issues that will be raised here. And I imagine you have to be a really good uh, legal surgeon to figure out how to cut into it and whether you can succeed in doing your fancy footwork to get around the premise of this case. And it was ironic again, that the the prosecutor in the case said, Aubrey would be alive today if he weren't black. Does that seem like a comprehensive or the analysis that is warranted, or is it in perfect keeping with the spirit of the law? Since this is a about a a, uh, a hate crime, Muhammad from New York, you start us off today. Uh, good afternoon, you chase. Uh, good afternoon. As well, thank I you. I just want you to repeat the question again, please. Well, it was it came with a preamble, <laughs> and uh, I the, there are a couple of questions. How is the prosecutor going to prove 
that racial animus was what was the motive and the central issue in this case. Okay, it, it was another question you had, and I had an answer for it, but I forgot it. I was doing something. Yeah, I, I'll give that one a shot also. Because okay. of the color of the man's skin. You need to speak directly into the phone and not far away from it because we get a little bit lost in translation. Okay, I am now. Yes. And, and, and the question again, please? Is prosecution under federal statutes the same as double jeopardy? Could prosecutors prove beyond the shadow of a doubt what was in Aubrey's killer's minds when they murdered him? I don't think they can. But Why? they can prove that... Could you repeat that? Uh, okay, I'm not hearing you. And please excuse me. Okay, what's happening? Are you not hearing me? Um, um, yeah, it's not coming across clear for something. It's probably my phone telephone okay so i'll repeat it is okay, prosecution under federal statutes as in this case double jeopardy could prosecutors prove beyond the shadow of a doubt what was in aubrey's killer's minds when they murdered him i don't think they could prove that one thing they could say it is that it was a, the color of his skin was part of their motivation. There's no question about that. How do they prove that? Because they killed him. But could it have but been instead the color of his eyes or the type of shoes he was wearing? No, How the do color you of his prove skin? definitively that the color of his skin was the reason he was murdered. Because had it been a person of European descent, nothing like that would have happened. Yeah, but that's a conjecture on your part. You have no proof of oh, that no. either. Oh, no. People come through their neighborhoods every day, and nothing. we never hear anything about yes, someone else. Yes, but that doesn't you. prove anything. You see, this is what I'm getting at. How is the prosecutor under these statutes of, uh, concerning hate crimes, what do you think the, the prosecutor will have to pull out of the rabbit's hat to convince a jury that this was in fact a hate crime? There was a clear intention to kill Ahmed Aubrey. Oh, that, oh, they violated his civil rights. Yes, that's he a fact. Right. That's a fact. They violated his civil rights by killing him. Okay. But this is a crime being prosecuted under specific statutes involving hate. I would say that's true. I agree with that. Yes, but the, the question is, what is your answer? How do they, how does a prosecutor, who happens to be a white woman, how does a prosecutor 
prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that hate, racial animus, was in fact the cause, uh, or not the cause, but the uh, motivating factor in the killing of Ahmad Aubrey. Well, she might not be able to prove that, but the evidence of him having been killed... No, no, no. We're not talking about whether she might not be able. We we are saying he's already... They are already charged with the crime. Okay. So the assumption is the prosecutor will have to prove that. Don't you think? Yes, I, I do think it. I don't think it'll be difficult. Okay. This man tried to run away. He tried to run away. It's yes, but that, like is, that to... pertains to just murder in general. He tried to run away, as you would or I would. But what we, as the alleged victims in this crime, do has to do with us evading or avoiding being killed. The question is not about us as victims. The question is about them as killers. Well, we know he died. They chased him. They could have let him go. No, 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 no. You don't have an answer today. You don't have an answer today. Let me say this before I go. Something that you did, you, you asked about what was in the man's mind. It came to me, right? I'll tell you what's in their minds now. If I should have, if I had did this, if I hadn't done that. No, 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 no. It's not about what's in their minds now. You can't read their minds now. You couldn't read their minds then. I'm asking, how is a prosecutor going to persuade a jury? What was in the minds of Aubrey's killers? She already has pronounced it. If Aubrey was white, he would not be Okay. Thanks, so you got us started today. Thank you. 888-874-4888. You see, people covering the case and whatnot, these are the kinds of questions you ask before the case even starts. These are the kinds of questions that would get you to expect how the case will go. The case that Muhammad referred to was already tried. That's why the three men were convicted of murder. And that's why they uh, were sentenced to life in prison. This is a whole different ballgame here now. And I'm asking questions pertinent to this case, which is the federal case, being prosecuted under federal law as a hate crime. Stephen from Brooklyn, you're on the air. Yeah, greetings. I, uh, first, greetings. I think that the, uh, the federal case is, uh, is overall the same outcome, a dead person. It's a different crime. I don't think double jeopardy applies when you're being prosecuted for a different crime, albeit many similar circumstances and actors. As far as how they prove his, whoops, <laughs> yeah. how they prove his, 
how they prove his intent. They have to have something extrinsic to the to the facts that are on hand. They'll have to have statements. Perhaps they'll have writings, and those writings would have to be extensive and compelling that would express uh, a deep racial hatred. Uh, it's going to be difficult because it's always difficult to uh, establish intent other than the act speaking for itself. They intentionally pulled triggers. They intentionally chased this man. But whether it was motivated by racial animus would require, and I'm suggesting, statements they made contemporaneous with the event or historically or and or writings. That's my suggestion. Okay, if you were to come at the case as a prosecutor, I'm giving you an assignment now. If you were a prosecutor, what would constitute a a rationale to regard the men on trial as men who committed a hate crime? Based on what you just said. Right, I'd have to look, you know, I don't have the benefit of the statute. You have to track the language precisely of the statute. Uh, and I'm sure it speaks of intent, but there may be other factors that, that uh, uh, qualify how intent is to be established. But the only thing I can offer is uh, what I've already said. They, they would have to have had made statements that are recorded and that are uh, regarded as uh, reliable. Uh, and either to the police on arrest or prior to the action, you know, in a bar, we're going to go out and get a black man. Some statement that is in addition to the action of murdering this man in cold blood. Also, they they may have, you know, diaries. (laughs) They, They may have websites that they're going to that are just so overridden with racial animus that that would suggest their intent. Again, it's because you're talking about how to get inside someone's mind, it's a, a, a very uh, high bar, but it's but possible. the prosecutor has said, the prosecutor has made it known that they were acting out of racial animus. That's what she pretty much said. She has already presented to the, the jury the conclusion that these men are to be seen as men acting out of hate, which is what Understood. the statute uh, under which yes, they're and, being prosecuted is. And that's that's an assertion in an opening statement that the trial would place the burden on the prosecution to bring forth evidence to support the assertion. And I'm suggesting the assertion is vocal statements recorded, heard by, reliable uh, sources that would testify, he said to me such and such, uh, either close to the event or over a period of time consistently, and or there are writings in his possession, either in his own hand or their own hand, and or uh, computers filled with websites that they can cons- consistently and, and uh, visit that are, are just, uh, you know, just ugly, uh, vile, racist websites. So, again, you have to have something beyond just a mere assertion. That's, that's the case. An opening statement is, what do I have to prove? Not necessarily every detail of how I'm going to prove it. 
That's the trial. And then the closing, that's going to be repeated again. This is what I said we're going to prove, and this is how we proved it. This evidence, this evidence, which was admissible after challenge, for your consideration. Does it concern you that everything you've said so far, although it is impressive and it makes sense, but it's not proof? No, no I, I don't have the proof. I'm just trying to describe the nature of the proof. I'm not privy to the, to the prosecutor's file. I don't know who they've spoken to. I don't know who the witnesses uh, to be called will be. It's not, it's not going to be a trial where they just have uh, forensic evidence and medical evidence. This man was killed in a video, et cetera, and say, and therefore it was uh, motivated by racial animus. They have to prove that specific assertion that she uttered in the opening statement. The, the nature of that evidence I wish I had access to. I don't. I'm just saying descriptively, generally, this is what you need people to say. You know, we were at the bar last night, and we were sitting around, you know, drinking, and he was saying, well, I can't wait to find somebody, you know, out on the road, you know, who's black, and I'm going to blast him away. I've been longing to do that. I, you know, absurd over-the-top, clear statements of uh, motivation, animus, intent, but I, I don't know what the witnesses are. And again, if I had his computer, or their computer, there's more than one, one defendant, and, and it's rife with visits to, uh, to, to websites that advocate this kind of behavior, uh, that would certainly be uh, maybe not in and of itself, or maybe in and of itself, very compelling evidence of intent. Because the action was obviously fueled by something other than what we know. They followed a, a man on a, a lonely road and they blasted him to, to smithereens. Why they did it, unless they bring forth uh, psychological defense that they were, you know, uh, insane in, 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 a, in a legal sense, they had some internal emotion and thought process. And how you establish that is what I've said a few times. How do you think the prosecutor will fare in making these points real? Well, again, when, when we have the benefit of, of witnesses, there will, there will be witnesses called, and there will be evidence yes. introduced. Witnesses who will, who will speak about what they heard them say. They could be. They may say something to the police upon arrest. They may have said something to, to associates and, and friends who are willing to come forward and say what they said. Those people have to testify under oath. So then, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the substance of the evidence to support the assertion that they acted with racial animus will be revealed at the trial. That's the prosecutor's burden. And, and so that's what's going to happen. There will be witnesses. There will be documents. And... Yes. Uh, until they're available, we, we can't. But know. there will also be a giant leap in, uh, between that, that has to be made between making those assertions and proving those assertions were in fact true. So we'll see. Yeah, yes. It's, I, it's, it's very, I enjoyed. Very high, but but that's we, we, this conversation should be had again. After this witness testimony, after the trial has actually taken All place right. with their All evidence. Right. Duly noted. Duly noted. I want to thank you. Very interesting contribution, and I thank you for it. Thank you, thank you. Gail from New York, you're on the air. Hi, Utrice. 
I think Hello, you I cannot hear you at all. I think the strongest evidence is uh, I just I just want to say again you're very low on the phone. Are you speaking directly into the phone? Yes, I am now. Can you hear me better? Yes, I can hear you now that you're speaking directly into the phone. Go ahead. I think the strongest evidence is the fact that they themselves wanted to take that plea deal, that they they already admitted that they would agree that it was a racial hate crime. And hey, I, who? The father and son. I don't know if, um, what is his name, Rodney, the neighbor, I don't know if he was included in that plea deal or attempted plea deal that the judge threw out. But the father and son, I think that's the strongest evidence about their frame of mind because they admitted. They admitted. Okay, keep going. That it was a racial hate crime. I don't know that they admitted that. Well, they wanted to take the plea for it. They said that they would admit admit to it. But that was part of negotiations to not go to state prison. Right. I understand okay, that, but why? Okay, so that, we, we can't rely on the veracity of those statements because we don't know under what pressures they made those statements and whether those statements are in fact true. Okay. Well, that's the whole cost course of uh, going to, to trial. You have to determine the absolute truth as to, to the extent that you can. And there's a lot that if this case is prosecuted properly, that we will come to appreciate as loopholes in the case, uh, big holes in the case, uh, that the prosecutor is not necessarily concentrating on, but is concentrating on just the simple fact, as she stated in her opening, her opening statement, that Ahmad Aubrey would not have been killed if he were white. I'm intrigued about how she came to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have you. I got you. Um, she should have made a better or different opening argument. Something that she- well, you know, the, the idea is uh, she did it to be uh, provocative, I guess, and dramatic. But it raises some other questions as to what led her to that conclusion. And maybe we will see it unfold in the court as the case is being prosecuted. Thank you so much for calling in and contributing today. You're welcome. We'll take this break and come back to your calls at 888-874-4888, right after this.
Oh, man, I could listen to him all day. And what is fascinating, as I repeated as we started up, completely self-taught, not only on the trumpet, but also on cornet and flugelhorn. He's one of the famed Jones brothers of jazz, part of the jazz royalty, as you were. 888-874-4888, we're talking about this trial, the federal trial has just begun into the killing of Ahmad Aubrey. And the question that we are dealing with, the questions, I should say plural, that we are dealing with actually came from the prosecutor in the case uh, who said, and it uh, very declaratively, that Ahmad Aubrey would not have been killed if he were a white man. And we're discussing the implications of the question, uh, or the statement, I should say. Brother Dave from Brooklyn, you're on the air. Yes, this makes me think of uh, something throughout American history, and it's the sundown town uh, mm -hmm. law and uh, practice uh, throughout the country. And that sundown uh, situation means that uh, certain phenotype, uh, what we call black people, uh, uh, don't, do not have the right to be in certain areas at certain times of the day. And in addition to that, uh, even during the day, and they don't have the right to be there and be unmolested like anyone else. So uh, she was probably uh, leaning on that when she mentioned uh, what you just said about uh, uh, if he were white, that wouldn't have been a problem. So uh, this means in a... Uh, another way I'd say, uh, I look at it, um, we can go to the fact that there are many places that uh, uh, phenotype black people uh, should not be, according to the racists. And I can take that to personal experience, uh, many personal experience I've had, where uh, people uh, didn't feel I belong where I was. And, uh, I mean, it can be even extreme, extreme, such as being in the military, and I was in the military, I was also in the military, and I would have my uniform with my rank and all that on it naturally, and uh, I'd be accosted uh, by people who said, what are you doing in the officer's club? Or what are you doing in the officer's quarters when you had your uniform on? So they were there to uh, uh, keep me from being in there, and it didn't dawn on them that uh, I was entitled to be there. So the uh, sundown situation I think applied to this, even though it was in the daytime, that uh, uh, 
he had no right to be in the area he was, and that uh, is because of uh, the racial animus of uh, the community that shows that you only can be in those places that those in power and want you to be. This is a federal trial and being conducted under the auspices of federal hate crimes law. When the prosecutor says that Ahmad Aubrey, Aubrey, sorry, would not have been killed had he been white, in the context of a trial, where do you think this case ought to go? Um, well, I, I think the prosecutor is looking at the, uh, uh, let's say, the ways in those communities, especially in the South, and uh, that is very well. You're not supposed to be in certain places uh, at certain times, and uh, that applies in this case. So uh, I would think that uh, that's that's pretty accurate um, that he would not have been accosted uh, if he were a white phenotype person. Do you expect, if you were prosecuting this case, would you have experts in U.S. racial history testify? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, this is clear. I mean, this. Uh, I think books have been written about this thing. So, uh, and I, I could speak personally for it in many other cases. Uh, you know, in many other occasions, this type of thing has happened to me personally. You know, so uh, it's not uh, unusual. And as part of the uh, uh, American, let's say, American experience, uh, people who are enslaved, people who are uh, uh, subjugated, as the African phenotype people here have been, are restricted to certain movements. And it's sim similar to what it was during a chattel slavery time where you had to have a pass to go anywhere. And even after chattel slavery, uh, you could be arrested very easily for being in an area even though you hadn't committed a crime. So uh, that is the way they used to uh, fill up the prisons after the uh, Civil War. Uh, for black, for with black people just walking on the street, and they could arrest you for vagrancy, and uh, you know send you to uh, jail. So uh, that's part of the American experience, and uh, that has uh, been well documented in the past. Do you expect? Uh, because two, at least two of the three people on trial, Gregory McMichael, who is 65, his son, 
Travis McMichael, who's 35, have had a long history of affiliation with the law in the town where they live, in the city where they oh. live. Oh, yes, that's, uh, that's another thing that's important in this particular case. Uh, because as a part of the, uh, what some people will call the slave patrol, and uh, nowadays it's called the police, uh, that was one of their uh, chief functions was to keep those people enslaved uh, or after the Civil War, where chattel slavery ended, keep those people in check. And these people were on a mission to keep those people in check. So that was a, a violation of the civil rights law as we see it today. So they have a big experience with that because they were involved in loss enforcement. And I can personally think about that uh, because I lived in Georgia for a while while I was in the military, and I was confronted by the police uh, because I wouldn't say yes, sir, to white people. So, you know, I was out of my place. So there are certain ways that uh, uh, the police are very much um, uh, administrators of the uh, racist situation that you had, especially in a place like Georgia, where I have lived. Thank you. Thanks for contributing today. Sonia from the Bronx, you're on the air. Hi, Utrecht. Hello. Uh, the prosecutors, hello? The prosecutor's yes, uh, statement, I think, will fail because the defense only has to say, well, why didn't they kill Ahmaud Aubrey the first time, the first or second time he was there? It doesn't make sense that she would say, but for his being uh, black, he would not have uh, been killed. Uh, I think she's leaving herself open for a serious defense on that particular point. Uh, unless she establishes a pattern of prior abuse against people of color by this, these, this group. So if that doesn't work, what do you think would be a reasonable or viable or believable, plausible explanation for their actions? On the prosecutor's part? Yes. It would be a, a, a documented pattern of attacking or abusing black people. That, I mean, there would have to be social media. Maybe there's evidence of them using epithets against, against black people or uh, harassing blacks or blocking blacks from parking near their homes or things like that that can actually be documented historically. I doubt that that's going to be the case. I mean, that would have already come up, I think. Let's the argument look, is weak. Let's look literally at the statement. If Ahmad Aubrey were not black, he wouldn't have been killed. Coming from a prosecutor, what does that mean to you? 
I think that she's projecting. I think that she's uh, looking for the easiest uh, route to prosecute these uh, the, this family. Um, it doesn't make sense to me that that's what that would be her first choice. Her first choice should have been a pattern of known. Uh, discrimination against blacks by the father and the son. I always forget their names. But um, she was just making a declarative statement, a kind of summary of the case she will present. Don't forget this case, this federal case, uh, has just started. So it was a declarative statement uh, yeah. designed to, to kind of shock people. I, I Shocking people and, and, and providing the evidence are two different things. This is sensationalism. It's for media attention. It is a very, very ineffective way of, you know, prote of, of protecting Ahmad Aubrey's uh, legacy. I mean, it's, it's not enough. It, it's almost like a cheap shot on her part. It's a weak position to start from, and uh, it could have been a more valid and stronger position if she was able to say, we're going to prove that there's a history of racism by this father and son against people of color. That's, I just don't like Wouldn't it have been more effective not to kind of insinuate blame? If Aubrey, if Aubrey wasn't black, he would be alive. But nothing related to the murderers of Aubrey. She said nothing about that. I thought it was very odd. It is. To, it is. It is. Lay the, almost the, indirectly the blame for Aubrey's death at his feet and not say, well, these are the white guys who did it. Right. Wrong color in the wrong place. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Thanks so much for calling in today. Thank you. 888-874-4888. The case has just started. It is a hate crimes case. It is a federal case, separate and apart from the state case, which has ended and concluded with a conviction of all three men and for which they are expected to serve life sentences. Of course, that would be up in, on appeal as well. But as the federal case starts out, I'm interested in how the, the, the prosecutor approaches this question of proving, proving that the actions of the murderers were intentional. And that, that's what they wanted to do, that's what they set out to do, and that's what they did. And then managed to still cop a plea, because uh, you may recall at the state level, they got quite a bit of dispensation uh, trying to not go to state prison, but trying to broker a deal to go to federal prison where they would have uh, an improved uh, set of conditions under which to live. But we're talking about this case now. The, the prosecution opened up the case, and 
this is going to be the angle of the case for the prosecution. The, the killers of Ahmad Aubrey acted out of racial animus specifically, and that was their motivation for killing him. Nothing else other than their racial hatred informing their actions. What is your reaction? Would this prosecutor be able to make a credible argument about that? And if she does, what do you suspect she might have to do in order to achieve that? We heard from Stephen, and he made many, many good points. I suspect uh, that he, too, might be in the legal profession. And uh, But the points were right on, right on. But we still have to look at this case from the point of view. Here is the, a, a, a federal prosecutor now uh, in, the, in, the, in the place of an advocate for a man who, a black man who was killed by three white men. And now they are standing trial on the federal hate crimes uh, charges. 888-874-4888. Just in case you hear any little funny noises, <laughs> me and my construction friends, we're back together again. <laughs> we can't tell. The volume sometimes is unbearable with the, the rat-a-tat of the, the equipment. Uh, but uh, they're getting along with their work, but at the same time, jeez, I'd like a little peace every now and then. P-E-A-C-E. 888-874-4888. As this trial gets underway, where do you expect the prosecution to go? What might be the hurdles in proving her point, her declaration, that racial animus is at the heart of this trial and the, 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 at the heart of the motivation for killing Ahmad Aubrey. Any thoughts? 888-874-4888. In a trial like this, um, when you're covering hate crimes, it always fascinates me how lawyers for either side, how they get into the heads of the people on trial. What do they do? How do they get evidence that they're racist, for example? That's the, the big question in this trial. How do you get it? Even if people were to make or were known to make habitually race-based statements, uh, offensive racial jokes, that kind of thing, even if that was part of their persona and their practice. How does that translate into, therefore, they, they are so racist that they easily could be considered killers if they had an opportunity to kill people of another race, they would. And in this case, they did. How do you make that leap? That even if they made 
offensive statements habitually, even if they had a reputation for doing that. What does the prosecution have to do to bring home the point that as a man thinketh, so is he? And then another point of as a man thinketh, so did he. That's the the fascinating part. How do they get to that point? What do they have to do to demonstrate to the jury that these men were consistent in their racial animus? And even so, the question still arises. Because a person is a hateful racist, do you naturally accept that that was what motivated them to kill a person. How do you do that? If you're a lawyer, I'd love to hear it. 888-874-4888. You see, in court, there is an interesting thing that happens. You, you, you have to prove things. It's one thing to lay out a theory, but there has to be convincing proof that there's a connection between your theory and your actions. And there's another connection between your actions and the impact on a person. In this case, Ahmed Aubrey, whose major crime, according to them, was that they spotted him jogging through the neighborhood. And it was intolerable. They decided they had to do something because automatically, and, and it was laid out in some of the testimony before, they just knew that he was up to no good. And further, they suspected that he had committed crimes even. No proof, but he had committed crimes in the community. When in fact, everybody who knows or who knew Aubrey said he was in the habit of going uh, jogging. And he chose to go jogging in this neighborhood where these killers lived. They saw him. They decided he was quarry. And they chased him. They penned him in. And then they killed him. That's, That's a long stretch to defend yourself against. But it's also a long stretch for the prosecution to prove conclusively that their thoughts motivated their actions. That's what's fascinating to me about the case. I have no question and I have no uh, doubts that these men were racist. But I don't know that I could prove conclusively that their racist attitudes and uh, were therefore the reason they killed him. I, I'm dying for somebody to walk me through that. How will the prosecutor get through that point that their attitudes informed their actions, and it's one and the same thing. 
And so they killed a black man. Okay. Time for one call. A short one if you if you want to make it. At 888-874-4888. This is a very important case from that perspective to me. Because now we're talking about the second trial. Yes, there are two different trials. The state trial has concluded and sentence passed. Okay. Now comes the federal trial based on entirely different statutes, really, which have to do with hate crimes. Specifically, this is a hate crime, as the federal government would classify it. And therefore, things are a little bit different here. Um, They get a lot more latitude in some ways to make some leaps of, of, of judgment and they don't have to be exact as, as exact, I think, as in the a state case where you have to produce every shred of evidence to support your statements and your facts. But in the state trial, how much of that really will apply? Will they be strict about these things? We'll see. As I said, again, the the trial has just started. We'll see where it goes. Thank you so much, everyone who contributed it, who contributed today. My mouth is all tied up. And uh, let's get together again tomorrow and talk some more. Bye-bye.